Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us to this episode of Go Behind the Ballot. I'm Claire Campos O'Neill. And I am Nicole Abshire. And we are going to continue our conversation about gender identity in this show. This is our mini episode, which is connected to our guest interview that we had this week and the week before with Ash Hall. And Ash did an incredible job giving us some information about what's happening in Texas regarding uh, you know, gender, people who identify as trans and non-binary who um, fall in that LGBTQIA plus umbrella and how their experience in Texas is different from other folks and unfortunately different in a negative way. So to ground this conversation, Nicole and I looked at this really great photo essay that was featured on the Texas Tribune website. This was put together by Jordan Vonderhaar and the line for the article is, uh, we don't feel safe here, a transgender teen and their family flee Texas. So Nicole, uh, you brought this to my attention. Tell me uh, why this this one caught your eye. Well, I think it is emblematic of the way a lot of families feel. I think it's a really good grounding in a lot of the fear that a lot of teens and families have on a daily basis and are experiencing and and that it is not uncommon for that reaction to be that you need to leave to kind of reestablish any sense of safety. And so I think it's just a really good grounding in what it is like to be kind of gender nonconforming right now in Texas. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading it, I started thinking about, I, I will say that I feel like every time I run into a family that we have found, you know, as a fellow uh, you know, parents of gender nonconforming kiddos, I feel like almost every time lately they share that they are making plans to leave. Um, and that makes me really sad, really, really sad. Um, and I, so I started actually just kind of making a list and one family I know is, is already gone. Um, they made their move really, really quickly But um, there are several others who are making plans and looking ahead to what their exit is going to look like. Oh, man. Yeah, that's very sad to hear that these folks um, feel like their response is to leave. And it's understandable considering what they're up against. And as you're mentioning, this article does a good job highlighting what that experience is like, especially through the photos. So let's talk about the article. And then I'm going to ask Nicole some questions. Um, But to start off, this article follows um, Heather Crawford and her child, Cass Crawford. And they are moving from Central Texas to Minnesota. And that is happening because they feel like Nicole said, a lot of fear living here in Texas. Um, the article, the thing I kept thinking about was, well, and I'll go ahead and pause here, I guess, and ask you, Nicole. This family feels so much fear that they have to leave. Can you tell us what that fear is about that 
that you have that that you no longer f- want to stay in your in your home and find a new home somewhere else? Yes. So what that looks like is that you as a parent can sense that your child is in pain. I experienced this with my child, right? There's there's language that they are giving you. Sometimes there's no language. You can just see changes in their behavior and you know that something's wrong, right? They're going through something that's very profound and very painful, frankly. And I know that for my kiddo, what that, the best way to describe that is they've had this realization and maybe it's been a little bit of a lurking realization um, going up until, you know, some sort of almost breaking point that there's something fundamentally different about them than most people. And so they're contending with how do I move through the world knowing that I'm different from everybody else and just how do I, as a young person, survive that, deal with that? So it's they're, they're having their own kind of issues around how to be in the world. And also they are aware that the world isn't the most welcoming and accepting. So I think it's this dual kind of struggle that's really hard. Can you imagine as an adult feeling that, but then as a kid feeling that, and you have so little autonomy, your voice, you may not even have a language for so much of it, and you're, you're dealing with all of that. And so it's a lot. It's a lot to go through, even when you have a very accepting, affirming family, right? My child, that's when we started therapy. And I have a kiddo who feels the need to make everybody else feel okay. So they definitely guard their feelings. They don't share their feelings openly. But at the same time, as a parent, I could sense that something wasn't right. And so for my family, what that looked like is, you know, we're just, it's, it almost feels like you're a sinking ship and you're just trying to like plug the holes and, and, and create an environment where they can kind of stabilize and feel okay again. And every day you sort of don't know what that day is going to be like. Is it going to be a morning filled with tears and a lot of anxiety about going to school? What, like you just sort of don't know from day to day. So for us, that was just trying to stabilize. And then you finally kind of reach that stabilization point and then finally something slips out. So what I mean in my case is that my kiddo voiced that, uh, this is hard to say, but um, they just kind of said, oh, well, I don't feel like dying anymore. And then it's like you finally realize, oh, all that pain that I sensed was really happening. Now, some kids do voice it, like in this article, But kids like mine don't necessarily voice it, but you know that something is deeply troubling. And so it's that feeling of just, again, like trying to stabilize, trying to have them in an environment where they can have their needs met. And so then at the same time, if your kiddo's experiencing all this gender dysphoria, you want to provide every single possible resource that can help them whether that is therapeutic, you know, psychological services, whether that is medically gender affirming care, you want to be able to provide all of that. And so to not be able to provide that in a safe and healthy way, you just feel like, well, then I can't stay. Like you, 
it, it is really your child's life on the line. And mm. there's no way that you're going to take a risk as a parent. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your personal story. Um, I think that along with this photo essay helps helps hopefully us see that this is affecting real people and we can have these discussions about, you know, gender and things like that. But at the end of the day, it comes down to this personal experience and really these children who are being impacted in such negative ways and to the point that they're contemplating suicide. Some of them have committed suicide. And I think that it sounds like in this article was sort of the tipping point for Heather Crawford and her family was that her child was talking about suicide on a pretty uh, frequent basis. Right, Nicole? If you read the first section of it, it will break your heart. (laughs) It will break your heart. They include um, a little excerpt of what was in Cass's suicide note. And it is, it's tough. It's, it, it's, thank goodness they are alive, but it, it, it will break your heart. I just can't imagine. So, so Cass is, um, 16 years old and most of us can remember that time of our life, how there's already so much change happening within you internally and that discomfort and struggle. And then to have this additional layer of, I I am recognizing that I am outside the quote norm. So having to deal with that. And then this additional layer of the community I live in isn't supporting me. My family might support me. Hopefully your family supports me. Maybe your family doesn't. That's another thing you have to deal with. But it's so much pressure for someone so young to have to work out. There's layer upon layer upon layer of really challenging and difficult circumstances that, yes, it's incredibly difficult and hard. (sighs) Yeah. So in the article, it it chronicles how um, Heather, the mother, uh, went before the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services and shared their family's experience, how Cass has been like you said, writing uh, notes, suicidal notes, um, how as a mother, she is just trying to provide that care that you're talking about and how because of the mandate that Governor Abbott put out, that's no longer really allowed or if it's allowed, you risk being investigated and the challenge that they're coming up against to the point where they are saying, we can no longer live in Texas. So we we hear a lot in this article about, about the mother going before this committee to share what's happening to their family. And something that I noticed was uh, there's a photo of Heather before the committee, and the committee looks pretty stone-faced. Um, and it says in the article that they like showed no emotion to to the letter. So that was, that made me pause. Like hearing this, I mean, and hearing you, Nicole, like I feel like the chills, you know, like the, the, the hair standing up, like it, it, I cannot help but feel moved. So it's strange to me that the people on this committee from the journalist perspective weren't really expressing emotion. Yeah. The photo it is a snapshot, right? We 
we don't know what they were feeling or thinking, but the photo does definitely convey a sense of, of not, they don't look compassionate, but again, you know, we'll offer them some grace. We don't, it is just a snapshot of a moment. Perhaps it isn't what it appears to be, but I, I think what is important to emphasize is that even if that isn't the feeling of that particular panel, right? What the faces that we're seeing, I think that what it does feel like more broadly is that our government, our state government has that kind of feeling about all of these issues, this sort of stone faced, unwilling to listen, unwilling to connect compassionately to people who are trying to tell them what they need to hear about these things. It, it looks to me as if it's symbolic of what it feels like, which is that these lawmakers have made decisions about what gender affirming care is, what transgender kids, what their issues are, and that they're all mentally unhealthy and unstable, and that they're somehow the heroes who are rescuing them from this, you know, these mental diseases. They've made decisions about that and they're unwilling to change their position. And so it's like they don't even hear or connect with the stories that actual families who are experience this, experiencing this are sharing with them. That's what's really, really difficult is to feel as if you're sharing your most vulnerable you know, most deeply held sort of private thoughts and feelings to people who are unwilling to hear them. Right. Well, not all. So, so yes, these families are sharing their personal stories and correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is the American Academy of Pediatrics is on the side of these parents, correct? Saying that every major medical organization and psychological organization, you know, these groups that represent sort of the most current thinking of medical doctors and psycho, you know, psychological providers all agree that gender affirming care is necessary. So can- this is truly lawmakers getting in between what is considered to be medically sound and psychologically sound by experts, by people who have spent their lives studying these things. They are getting between families and the care that they need. Okay. I think we talked about this in Ash's episode, but I wanted to pause and talk about it again here. Gender affirming care. What does that mean? So it means a lot of things. It's really broad. For my family, what gender-affirming care means is that we allowed our kiddo to transition in terms of the clothing that they wear, that we allow them to wear clothes that they feel like best represent their identity, how they see and feel about themselves. Um, It means our family allowed our child to make a name change. Um, It means a social transition. Like we affirm the gender that they identify themselves with in all places. And so in a really broad sense, that's what gender affirming care is. It is allowing your child to identify and express what they feel their gender is. There is some, can be, not 
is, but there can be some medical parts of that, that some people may or may not engage in. Um, and I'll tell you, I'm on the fence, right? All of this, uh, like going back to the fear that, that is uh, fomented by all of this, I hesitate sometimes to be visible, right? And to share these things because it feels dangerous. But at the same time, you know, I, in some ways I feel relatively safe, but here's what I will say is that we did have, we did have a doctor's appointment with a medical doctor and what that appointment looked like was an hour long talk about what is possible in terms of any sort of medical intervention Surgery was never, ever, ever mentioned. Um, and we talked for an hour. We made no decisions. We just talked about some of the possibilities like puberty blockers and what some of, some of those effects might be, whether they were reversible or not. We just talked through all of the possibilities and made no decisions and decided that none of us were ready for that and that we'll come back another time. And I don't think that's unusual. I think a lot of medical appointments are long discussions and really thinking through things. And I also think that it is incredibly common. I can't guarantee this, but I think that it is incredibly common that the medical doctors make sure that you are also receiving psychological therapeutic care. These things are not, they don't exist separately from each other. I'm not saying that those, the therapist and the doctor necessarily coordinate, they can, but they are asking you, the medical doctor, if you are receiving therapeutic care. So this is a very thought out, methodical, long process. This, there's nothing spontaneous about it. There's nothing that is, we don't, you don't jump to sort of the farthest, um, you know, possible outcome at the beginning. It, there's lots of steps that happen. Mm. Yes. Thank you for painting that picture because I, I, th I think sometimes when I read gender affirming care, my brain has been a little hijacked and I think this is happening more and more often to think the extreme, to not think about that slow process. And I want to correct that. And I think us talking about that might help other people correct that assumption. Um, and that probably works in some people's favor, right? To have that, oh, yes. that means surgery. It's like, or not. <laughs> well, mean, just the term gender mutilation, right, is very, that's scary. That's scary to me. Um, so, yes, I think it does work to some people's advantage to, to use the most extreme language but that isn't actually grounded in most people's reality, if anyone's. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, yes. So turning back to the article, um, a line. So in the article, it chronicles uh, Cass's last few days while they're here in Texas, seeing friends, um, fencing, packing up, those sorts of things. And a line that really stuck out to me was when Cass said, what I would want people to take away from this is how much this is hurting me. 
And I read that and I'm just like, uh, you know, bawling on the inside because Cass is a child, a, a Texas child that I think all of us should feel as though we need to help flourish and become the best person Cass can be. And yet this family is is getting the message that they're not welcome here. Uh and uh, I thought that was really powerful. It's interesting, right, that this article is, isn't word heavy, right? It's, it's mostly, it's a, like you said, a picture essay. So it's, it's mostly visual, but the words that are there are incredibly powerful. And I think that is such an important point. And thank you, Cass, for your bravery in saying that. And because there's so much, it feels like political theater that goes on. And it's really easy to think that there are not people who are harmed by that political theater. For some people, this isn't a show, right? This isn't, you know, this thing that is useful for your argument. Um, it, it is, it affects real people in their lives, makes them feel incredibly unsafe and harmed and that really just very succinctly, you know, summarizes that. Mm -hmm. I guess I just think like if I saw a child like screaming out in physical pain, me, I think many of us would rush to that child and try to fix it as quickly as possible. And we would fix it the way that would help them feel better, get better, take them to a doctor, whatever it is. And maybe because this is more of an internal thing, we don't do that. So that's the thing I get a little caught up on is this child is clearly saying this is hurting me to the point of potentially killing themselves. Uh, so, so why aren't we rushing and trying to, you know, stop, stop the pain? Well, and something that just occurred to me is that it might've sounded like I was contradicting myself because I know that the argument sometimes from the right is that these children are mentally disturbed and so that the solution is not to provide this sort of care that they need. I don't know what they think they need, um, but not to receive gender affirming care. And then I talked about a lot about therapy and psychological services. And so I know that might seem like I'm contradicting myself, but I think what I want to emphasize is that for the most part, right, these children know who they are. The struggle is that when they look outside of themselves, they, they can see that they don't fit into what society deems as normal. So it's not their own mental disease and mental struggle. It is the struggle of trying to be in the world that in so many ways does not recognize them, welcome them, embrace them, and trying to navigate that and figure out how to handle it without autonomy and voice right? That's the struggle. They know who they are. They just don't know how to be who they are in this world. And simply making the world more hateful and disdainful of who they are isn't the solution. So. Yes. No, thank you for putting a point on that. Um, another thing in the article that jumped out on me was Heather, the mother, uh, said she felt as though her family, um, are political refugees. And that was interesting to read. It feels very 
heightened, right? Like, whoa, political refugee. But then, of course, I was like, okay, well, let's break this down. A refugee is someone fleeing from persecution. They are being persecuted. And the persecution comes from this place of hostility and ill treatment. And when you look at what's happening at the legislature with these bills that are attacking trans children, with Governor Abbott's mandate to investigate families who are allowing their children to have gender affirming care. I mean, yeah, I can see why you would use that label for yourself, political refugee. And that it feels like life or death, right? It, it really does. And there seems to not be any appetite for letting up. Like all, all of the signs show that this will continue. They're not done. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just hope the people who are in positions of power and part of the show is helping us all recognize our own power. So there there are things we can do to, com- to combat this. But those who you know are making the bills just have more curiosity about this and listen to the medical community and listen to families. Because when we are talking about life or death, specifically with children, err on the side of life because we don't want to. We don't want to, I don't want to see us lose any of these children at a minimum. You know, we should err on the side of life and, and even more so create a more welcoming environment for them so that they can flourish and become the best them they're meant to be. Can't say it better. Exactly that. Mm. Well, this is a really fantastic photo essay. I, we're we're going to obviously provide the link so y'all can go check it out yourselves. Um, But I'm really glad that we're taking the time to understand this more. I feel like I had a very light understanding of what um, gender identity meant at the beginning. And I feel like I'm coming into this with more knowledge and awareness. And I really appreciate that, especially you sharing, Nicole, um, what your family's experience has been like, and Ash as well, for letting us know what it's like um, going before legislators and trying to make their case which is just crazy, but, but this is where we are and we have to do what we can to try to change things. Yes. Yes. So if people are wondering what they can do, I think it is to really try to be an ally, right? If you, if you hear in your circles, people saying things that you have learned not to be true, ask them some questions about maybe where they're getting those ideas and maybe be willing to point them in, in new directions. Um, and I also a quick word about some of the ways that you can do that, you know, following people in social media, I have discovered that it's a great way to kind of step into this a little lightly because it's a parasocial relationship. You're not in direct contact with somebody. And so it allows you to feel some discomfort from a distance and have your own private reactions and kind of question yourself. Ooh, why is that hitting a little funny so that you can kind of work through these things for yourself. And so I had three people that I was thinking that, or no, that I know make good follows if you're interested in kind of exploring that a little bit. And it's Alok, um, his Alok Vaid Menon. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but this will be in the episode description. There's also um, someone who, a transgender man named Pink Manta Ray, that's their social media handle, who has so many great educational posts, like really, really good ones with great slides. 
And then just kind of for fashion and art, Harris Reed is this fashion designer who's very uh, fluid, gender fluid. And so they're all great folks to follow and kind of lurk and linger and, and just peek. And Alok ha- will post incredible poetic um, speeches that they give that will just, I think, really stir your heart and make you think. So I love that. That's a great idea. The thing that came to mind for me when you were sharing those recommendations was this thing I heard recently. Um, I forget what the context was, but someone was saying that it's hard to hate up close. And maybe that first step is following some folks who aren't in your typical social circle and experiencing their life and getting to know them a little bit better. And then maybe you make a friend with someone who's transgender or non-binary or gay and you're just like, okay, this is, this isn't so scary after all, you know, put, try to push yourself into a little bit of discomfort and see where it takes you. Cause we like discomfort here. (laughs) We do. And I do one final word about the article though, which is, I love that they included so many pictures of Cass just being a kid. I think if I would want to leave anybody with any thoughts about all of this, it's that folks don't live in a dark place there are moments of darkness and pain and there are things that are a struggle and difficult, but these are just kids at the end of the day. I mean, I can say that my kiddo is super goofy and funny and really clever and really interesting. And I would say that their gender identity is one part of who they are. It isn't everything. Unfortunately, it has to be a little more heightened now because we feel under attack, but that is only one part of who they are. And we would love nothing more than to not feel like we have to fight for our existence and our right to be here and to just be people. So that's what we're all aiming for. Yes. That's wonderful. Well, thank y'all for listening. We will talk to you soon. Thank you, everybody, for joining me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully, we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics, and we hope that you'll do more with us. Check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com, where you'll find links to all of our social media, and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working, and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks, everybody, and have a good one.